If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 362 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, aka the pod god, the, the, the score lord, the legend, Shawnee Podcasts, Shawnee International. Some people were starting to call me. I don't know any of those names that you like better. You can have uh, joined today by the Amanda Serrano of Irish MMA Media, Graham McDonald, as uh, we talk about a fucking massive week in the world of mixed martial arts. We have UFC 274, obviously, to start off. We have Bellator Review, Bellator Preview. There's a bit of PFL, obviously, with the news about Dean Barry. There's the UFC card next week as well, so we have loads of stuff to talk about here today on the podcast, and we could do none of it without our friends over at Manscaped, because we all know, you know, summer is here, the sun is shining, shorts are off, and your balls are so smooth, you heard that right, your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are as smooth as the Floridian sand. In summer, you want to kill some cold beers at barbecues, not kill the vibe with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks, that's why Manscaped have their performance package 4.0 to keep you looking crisp. Dive headfirst into summer by joining the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com and using that code SEVEREMMA to get 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped's performance package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bot inside this package. You'll find the Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trim the crop preserver ball the origin the crop reviver toner departments uh briefs boxer briefs and the shad 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 shed traveled by patrick actually robbed my one yesterday i, I was i was out here in the man, man cave and i have it and he fucker robbed it so uh, manscaped send me another one if you have L- a lawnmower four by it's a cutting edge ceramic blade which reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology that lawnmower four by has a 7000 rpm motor and a multi-function on and off switch that can engage travel lock and it gives you the ability to turn on the 4000k led spotlight when you need a more precise shave uh, it's waterproof too, so if you're in an old lake, you can be doing that. Don't do it in a pool, that'll be disgusting. Please don't do that. Once downstairs, weeds are taken care of. Uh, you need the Manscaped liquid formulations, the crop preserver, uh, and the crop reviver as well. They'll keep you looking and smelling good down there as well. The boxers, brilliant, and the shed travel bag, put it all into it, lash it on. If I had one, I'd do the same. Want to make your grooming game, uh, take it even further. Have a look at the Shears 2.0 for cutting your uh, cutting your nails. And the performance package uh, is, you know, 
brilliant. Make sure you cover the rest with the Shares 2.0 and you get ready for the rest of the summer. So get 20% off and free shipping by using the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping by going to manscaped.com and using that code SEVEREMMA. This is the summer to turn your package into the full package with Manscaped. All right, Graham, let's talk about UFC 274. Uh, Honestly, this is a a tough card to break (laughs) down in totality, really, isn't it? It was like some epic moments in one of the worst UFC cards of all time, I suppose you could call it. Is that a fair assessment, do you think? I think if you just tuned in for like the main card, you you, you would have seen the ups and downs as well, but the the undercard was fucking, it was tough. Uh, there was obviously a couple of nice things mixed in there, but it was it was boring. Yeah, uh, you know the it looked like it kind of you know sparked into life with that Ferguson and Chandler fight, but then it was immediately followed by like an absolute really really one of the most boring title fights in the history of the sport. Yeah. So yeah, it had the ups ups and downs, but mostly downs. <laughs> mostly downs. Yeah. I missed the first three fights because I was out at a party. And it still felt like the longest card of all time. You were lucky. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, it was like... But apparently some of the fights were good. Uh, Lupi Godinez, did you see that one? She, apparently she put on a very good uh, display against Ariana Carnelosi. Um, there was a split decision win for CJ Vergara and Journey Newsom as well. I thought Tracy Carter's actually was pretty good. She was probably a standout uh, on, the, on the early card for me in terms of maybe the... You know, the up-and-comer, she's 10-1 and one now, and she beat uh, Melissa Gatton. By the way, the, the commentary we're talking, it sounds like she was a, a bit of an underdog. So uh, she, you know, she dealt well with Gatto on the ground, and I thought she looked good on defeat. You know, someone young in their career, I don't think she'd be giving Valentina Shinkov frights anytime soon. But still, uh, you know, a, a good performance there. Andre Fila, I, I'm so impressed with this guy. Um, <laughs> it, it was funny, Van Camp did well, you know, for a, for yeah. a portion of this fight. But when he hit him... And then Philo kind of... I don't think Philo was actually hurt. I think it was one of those ones where he kind of... I don't think he necessarily went over on his ankle, but he kind of just misstepped, and it looked like he was maybe more hurt than he was. And I was like, oh, Cameron, you can't be attacking this guy like that. You can't be leaving yourself up yeah. like that. The He's- second he grew in confidence and started throwing his <laughs> yeah. strikes, he was just shut down. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, Even the commentators were like uh, something like, "Oh, Van Camp is growing in confidence here. He's looking good. Oh, he's dead." Yeah, uh, that was exactly a beautiful left hook knockout by Fila. Like I, I tweeted last night. I think he's the top five fighter in the making. I, like I think he has it all to be honest. And you, okay, people probably say oh, he lost to Mikel Pereira a couple of fights ago. But first of all, that's Mikel Pereira, and second of all, it was on short notice. And preparing for that matchup on short notice is very, very tough. Um, I like I just think he has. He has the power. He's a very good technical fighter. He's a good game for MMA. He's a good chin. He's durable. Like, like there, there might be a stage where Filo reaches a couple of fights and it's hard to beat a certain opponent, say, like the Sean Brady level there, maybe, or the Bilal Muhammad level in the top 10. But up until that, I, you know what? I think he'll beat almost everyone up until then. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him doing it. He's, he's one of these fighters, Graham, where you see him on the undercard and it doesn't happen a lot these days. And maybe it's just me because I've, I've, I like him and I, I think he's a good fighter, but... 
you're kind of you're looking forward to his fight and for someone new into the UFC only three or two or three fights it's it's kind of rare isn't it do you feel the same way about him uh, I'm just trying to remember if you remember right what what did the Mikel Pereira fight look like the, the uh, he won the first round he kind of hurt Mikel Pereira didn't he and then he kind of got a little bit tired but Pereira came on and on and I think he won the second and third so it was a it was a competitive fight if I uh if I remember correctly. And then he bet Baeza only a couple of yeah. weeks ago there, you know, who's a, a top, top prospect. So, you yeah, know? you know, he looks like, you know, he went in there, got, didn't take too much damage. He could get back in there really quickly again. And, you know, he, he obviously just fought last month as well. So he can build a bit of momentum here. You know, it'll, it's, you know, once you step up at welterweight, it's uh there's a lot of beasts and you know difficult matchups in wrestling and everywhere really and but you know he's in a really good camp uh he's in Sanford MMA isn't he he is um yeah. yeah you know there's some beast there he be learning all the time he's still you know only in his what is he 28 you know he's still early in his career so yeah he you know he has, definitely has a lot of potential but you know well to be a, a lot stiffer uh, test in the UFC than Cameron Indeed. Van Camp 100% and as you said he, he's looking to get out quickly again because he's looking for a an opponent on that Singapore card I think that's the next pay-per-view isn't it so uh, not too far away he said yeah, he it's wants a good way to get noticed if you're on every single card like people yeah. <laughs> people eventually be like oh this guy again <laughs> wait hold on I know that guy yeah that's a, do you know and sometimes it just takes something like that and Dana White said I love that shit afterwards and oh yeah, also, yeah. Dana will keep you around a lot longer if you're somebody who will take fights at a, I know, actually any think, time I actually think for a guy with a lot of talent like this who is a hundred percent into MMA in terms of you know training full time and able to stay in the gym and maybe not taking that much damage. I don't understand why more guys aren't doing this because like uh, I think sometimes we and and you know fighters might be listening to this and go what the fuck are you talking about? But I feel like sometimes we get too into like the camp. Like if you stay very fit stay all ready. the time stay ready <laughs> so you don't have to get ready yeah exactly and like why shouldn't you like I know a fight is a different thing to like a, a game and you know getting to the very top level for uh, you know 15 or 25 minutes of brute brutality like they do is different from playing a game every week but should you be able to do it like every month? Should you be able to do it? I, I like, and I'm not saying do it twelve times a year, over and over and over again. Or if you're going in there and not get taking too much damage to yeah. the body, to the head, then yeah, well, like obviously, if you're if you're taking big shots to the head or things like that, then it's definitely advisable not to fight every month. Yeah, and especially on the way up as well. You know, when if you are a top prospect and you are beating guys over and over and over, it's. I, I think it's a good way to build your star and look, look like you know Conor McGregor is a perfect example he fought 12 times or 12 times he fought 4 times in 11 months the time you know from um, Mendez Aldo and Diaz twice or was it or was it Aldo Diaz twice and uh, Eddie Alvarez it was that one yeah I think so like you know that, that definitely does help and can Fila be that? I don't know, but I think he can uh, get back in there and keep getting back in there if he keeps winning, so it'd be interesting to to see him rise. Uh, Blagoj Ivanov and Marcus Rogerio de Lima was not great. Uh, <laughs> Ivanov won. There was a few car- um, fights in this card and people were like, oh, what's the decision? And honestly, I just fucking zoned out a half of these fights. The Macy Chase on Norman DeMont was another one. It was like, they were just so bad and so boring. I just... I'm not even watching this. Like it's just why, why, why have, 
why have we taken when there's nothing on the line no jeopardy and it's the most boring fight ever it is hard to like you know concentrate 100% on it you're just like oh fucking hell checking your phone and shit yeah Uh, one of the kind of the standouts in the middle of all of that was your boy Matt Schnell against Brandon Rival that was a great one round fight Uh, Schnell came out and he went forward. He didn't stop for one second. And he was hitting Rival. He hurt him at one stage. He almost had him in a guillotine. But when you when I saw him in that guillotine and I knew it wasn't going to be on, I was like, oh, shit. We know how good Brandon Rival is on the ground. And when Snell was kind of... He, he, was, he was on his knees against the cage and his neck was unexposed or exposed even. Uh... Rival just got it and took it and tapped him. He tapped like he tapped. Uh, people are saying he kind of tapped him before it was on. I just think it was a great one arm guillotine, to be honest. Uh, but um, that was a fun fight. What, what do you think about your boy Schnell? I, I, I suppose a good performance, but an unfortunate into. Yeah, I think it was a good, you know, good game plan to come out like a house on fire and try and put it on him, and you know, nearly worked. It maybe if he hadn't gotten into the guillotine attempt and had to try to kind of play a little bit more patient from there, he, he might have got you know a few nice shots and finished the fight. But you know, Roy Val once it hits the ground, you know, as you said, he's very dangerous, and it did seem like a matter of time. Um, the guillotine never looked close from from Snell, but you know, when Brandon Roy got it, you knew it was over. Yeah, indeed. Um. Trinaldo and Brown weren't too bad, to be honest. Yeah, I thought it was okay, to be honest. Like the, the, yeah, compared the, to what we'd seen before, like. yeah. <laughs> the Trinaldo Roberts fight and then the Brown, the Brown Williams fight was was good, to be fair. But yeah, I, like Chaos Williams won the first yeah. round. It felt, felt like, and then Brown came out and he just started throwing loads of shots. Uh, Danny Roberts did well to survive against Trinaldo, I suppose. The OS now, Randy Brown did well. Like you know, it yeah, looked like it was kind of going one way, but he, he he does have a dangerous style of kind of dipping his head, and he's gonna get absolutely like pull uh, pull. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Pulverized. Pul- pulverized one of these Ooh. days with that doing that. That's just yeah. asking for trouble. He's like uh, he's like you know when you you want Coca Cola, but your mother brings you home like little Coke, and he's Neil Neil Magny is Coca Cola, and Randy Brown is like the little cocker you know he's, he's like he's like a, a an okay version of neil magny i feel like randy brown but however uh osp and shogun was one of the most boring fights uh, like shogun is a legend and i uh, no one should ever boo shogun but god almighty this was this was just atrocious like we went on a run of three split decisions and four fights and the other one was the unanimous decision like i was Oh my god, this card was dragging at this stage. It was it was terrible. You just and kept uh, keeping him in the body, and yeah, that was about just, the story of the fight. Yeah, it was really it. Yeah, uh, and then Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Uh, Tony Ferguson <laughs> rocked Chandler a couple of times in the first round. I feel like Michael Chandler, right? He he's wide open. Oh, he's defensively, wide open. it's ridiculous. <laughs> it feels like on purpose. He, I think he came over from Bellator. He was like, Do you know what? I'm not going to be earning as much money here in the UFC. I'm going to need to start winning bonuses. I'm just going all out. I'll either have a fight at night, or I'll have a knockout at night, or something mad will happen. And uh, look, I've done enough in my career now. Let's just leave everything on the line. He did it against Gaethje. He did it ag- against Oliveira. He did it again last night against Tony Ferguson. And you know what? I fucking respect him for it. It was it's brilliant. Fair play to him. And uh, you and know, the, 
the KO itself, though, fucking oh, hell. What one a beautiful KO of the year. One it of was the like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it was Rogan or Cormier or somebody said on the commentary that it was like a punter's kick. And it was like when you see them kind of warming up their kicks uh, uh, on the sideline into that net where they like kick their legs so high into the air. It kind of was like a, an actual like yeah. uh, American football punt to the chin. It was like that time was that Allison kicked Gabriel Jesus. Was it that one? Remember that? They got sent off. Or was that it was Mane and Edison. Oh, yeah. They're, oh, that was it. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. But, <laughs> so close. You know, so close, Mane and Edison. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a beautiful KO. And uh, what did you think of Tony in the first round? Because sometimes we can maybe overblow it. But I thought, I thought he looked good. What do you think? Yeah, well, he looked really open to strikes as well. But that's kind of what we expect from Tony. Uh, and, you know, he landed the better strikes. I thought... Chandler was was very sloppy um, early in the fight, but uh, uh, you know Tony did very well. He did better than I thought he'd do. I thought it would be kind of uh, him getting rocked like like he was rocking Chandler in the in the early stages. But you know Tony was taking some big shots as well. But he has a hell of a chin. You know he he hadn't been finished uh, ever. Uh, so you know I did predict a second round KO as well. But uh, fair just throw that out there. You got you got it right. You got it right. I I think what Tony did very well in that first round was use his size and lint and and durability as well because he was taking I, I, I wouldn't say he was taking clean shots to the face over and over but he was taking like maybe shots to the body to allow Chandler to come in and then he was standing up tall and hitting Chandler on the counter afterwards and Chandler like was uh, off balance every time he kind of got hit and wide open for him so the shots from Ferguson you know they mightn't have been the most powerful shots in the world but they were hurting, hurting Chandler because he was so open for them and just like taking them full on over and over happened maybe four times throughout the round and it was all down to Ferguson's kind of I suppose his bravery in the pocket um, and it worked you know it worked perfectly for him now I think Chandler got that takedown at the right time because Ferguson it seemed like he was landing whenever he wanted and Chandler was just overthrowing those shots he almost fell over at one stage he was throwing the shots too much and Gaethje in the main event did the same thing we'll get to that yeah, but um, I, I thought it was a great display from Ferguson in terms of as you said he was taking shots but there was kind of a method to that madness which is not always the case I think with Tony Ferguson and uh it was a very smart display, but in the, in the second round, that kind of standing up straight worked completely against him because instead of coming in with a big overthrown right hand or a right hand to the body, um, Michael Chandler just threw an absolute gargantuan front kick right up to the face. It was the ball of the feet too, Graham, wasn't it? It wasn't like he didn't catch him with the toes. He didn't catch him with the, you know, the instep or the side of the feet. It was the ball of the, the feet. The kind of whole foot went through his <laughs> chin. Yeah, it was, oh my God, it was... And the way he fell, oh. fucking hell, it looked fucking really bad. Yeah, and he it, was down for a long time as well. It was like the the video game, do you know, where they just kind of collapse and yeah, every and the, muscle the camera body changes, stops. the camera angle kind of zooms out, and it's like they're just lying there dead. And he was look, Tony got up, and I, you know, I hesitate to say he was all right because no one yeah, thought he looked, after that. He looked but, like he didn't know what was going on. Even yeah. when Chandler was trying to talk to him, he was just like looking into space and like kind of deadpan. Yeah, and. Uh, UFC didn't play 
the replay for a while just to make sure Ferguson was alright and then he got up and then they showed it but I think they played it before he got up though oh did they oh, maybe I think so I actually rewound because I knew they were like waiting maybe they you know maybe they knew he was okay before they got up so yeah sorry I missed that but uh, they waited a while anyway they, <laughs> they definitely waited a while but yeah brilliant uh, brilliant display here it's difficult to know I suppose what to do with Chandler and with Ferguson Dana White said afterwards that you know he thought Ferguson looked good as well and it's not a case of you know Ferguson being done or anything so yeah. it looks like he's going to get another fight and yeah I thought like you know even though he got absolutely like you know knocked out badly for the first time in his career I thought he actually looked better than I expected uh, it's a kind of strange thing to say but uh, yeah Ferguson you know he looked like kind of the old Ferguson um, even though like I've said so many times over the years I think that that guy's overrated by a lot of fans but he's still you know dangerous for a lot of guys in this division and he proved it again but uh, you know he'd want to take some some serious time off after that and that KO that looked that looked brutal yeah very nice um, yeah but uh, yeah I think you know uh, Chandler did a pretty good job on the, on the, the mic afterwards calling out about six people usually when people call out six people or seven people <laughs> it sounds ridiculous but he was so hyped up and so into it and he I thought he, the promo was pretty good you're a, you're a pro wrestling aficionado what did you think of the I, I thought it was his best one yet like Chandler has done a few of these and they seem kind of you know out of place written seemed, and out of place yeah. yeah this one seemed passionate you could see like the sweat dripping off of him and like after this KO of you know the, the crowd of, reacting to what he was yeah. saying kind of gave him more confidence to say more to say more I think absolutely kind of, yeah. but he like before when he did this it was after good fights and different things but it felt like it wasn't the right time to do that mad sort of color where this was this was perfect like this was exactly the right time you have the lightweight title fight well half a lightweight title fight uh, in the main event you have you know McGregor on his way back as we we saw I'm sure a lot of people have seen on Twitter had a few things to say about this fight you know there, there's some great names there to call out either the, the title fight or you know the biggest name in the history of the sport in terms of draw and all of that so um, yeah it's it was a good call out definitely by Chandler for Ferguson like it was it was funny because okay you know we'll get to Oliveira he kind of called out McGregor and McGregor and came out on Twitter and goes yeah and then he called out Chandler and he kind of said yeah to that as well and then he was kind of taking jibes at Ferguson and it felt like he was waiting for months and months and years to have this jibe at Ferguson he had the you know the screenshot of the chicken nugget ready and everything to go uh I still think that fight makes a lot of sense. Now, Ferguson mightn't, you know, he mightn't be back in time or whatever, but I still think McGregor versus Ferguson makes sense considering where McGregor's kind of coming from with the injury and everything like that. I don't know, but... Uh, I don't know. Dana White said, like, he, oh, he hadn't thought about Chandler versus McGregor, but maybe that could be a thing now. I don't know. What what, what do you think is the move to do now? Um, You know, the way... If, if Ferguson had lost a back-and-forth decision or even a, you know... Uh, kind of competitive decision or loss of competitive decision maybe I think it would have made sense to make the McGregor fight and uh, maybe the timing is good now with you know Ferguson needing to take some time off and being KO'd and Connor still coming back but I don't know I think Connor will probably be looking for a bigger fight but you know will the UFC say you're going to fight Ferguson if, if, if Connor wants to fight somebody kind of you know, higher ranked, probably not. So I think it probably won't happen now. I think Ferguson needed to at least kind of, you know, make a uh, competitive decision loss of it for that fight to be kind of viable. Yeah, I think you, I think, 
I don't agree in terms of like I think they could still do it but I think you are right in terms of what will happen so you know we, we'll wait and see at least you got me an invitation for dinner did you see that did you? Did no, you? no, 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 yeah. <laughs> Let's open up, open up your Twitter. It was like, uh, myself and Connor had a bit of a back and forth. He invited me to the Black Forge for, uh, for chicken wings and stuff. It was very funny. Ah, very but, good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Best mates now. Best mates. I'll, I'll bring you on with me, Graham. We'll have, uh, ah, know, cheers. I'll on. tag along for a few chicken wings. <laughs> dinner on the house would be nice. It'd be nice, but, uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the cards. Um, Carlos Barza. <laughs> Won, her, won back her title from uh, Rose Nam Yunus in oh, you know I, I know Jordan Breen uh, disagreed but uh, what, what was the fight he said I can't remember the fight he said but there weren't many worse UFC title fights than this it, it has to be up there you know it really has to be up there there was barely a punch thrown in the first three rounds and like and that's if you haven't seen the fight that's not an exaggeration like and it was a full stand-up fight. It was, well, I think they said at one stage it was seven seconds of ground control or something in the first three rounds. It was just turgid, awful stuff. Like, the first round, and we won't go through this whole fight round by round because it's actually, and I think everyone kind of agreed, like the scoring in this fight didn't even fucking matter. And now it mattered to the judges and everything, but it didn't matter a jot to the people watching because it was so bad. And at the end of it, we didn't care who won. But like, Rosanam Yunus landed two, three jabs, I would say, in the first round. Now, one of them had any bit of impact. Carla Sparza landed a leg kick. And honestly, I didn't see much else apart from that. So you're scoring it on one yeah. jab versus I one think, leg kick. Yeah, I think of. one of the jabs kind of connected decently. That was, yeah. that was basically that, what that was took it. the round for me for Rose. That's how ridiculously... Yeah. Uh, the lack of output was just unbelievable, really. You know, okay, sometimes you see this in the first round, not to this extent, and then they kind of get their bearings and it kind of, you know, becomes not a standoff sparring match. But this just continued and continued and continued as as like a feeling out process and never got going and was just just absolutely terrible to watch. Uh, yeah. The commentators were, were saying, we're making it seem worse than it was, I think, um, as the fight went on a little bit. Um, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think they could, like, did a good job. They were saying honest. like, oh, this takedown attempt has won the round for Esparza and stuff. It's like, no, it hasn't. It c- um, didn't it though? No, I don't think so. I think Rose won the grappling exchanges. Uh, she defended like 90% of the takedowns and, you know, over the fight and got her 100% of her takedowns during the fight, which is only one, obviously, but neither did anything with them. Um, Rose was immediately able to get to her feet with no problem and eating no strikes and stuffed the rest of them with no problem. So I think failing on takedowns isn't isn't uh, scoring for me. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah I agree on that. Um it was a tough one though but like the second round I actually thought was worse than the first round there was fucking nothing in that second round and now okay, maybe, maybe now is a good time because there's quite a point in this talking about this fight it was so bad uh, and I feel bad we've already recorded the second half of this podcast and we didn't talk at all about Bader versus Congo thinking it was the worst possible fight that could happen not necessarily this was this was worse but let's 10-10 round for a second so people are probably listening like why aren't these 10-10 rounds it's like so we, we talked in, in the first uh, round there, and in every round, there was a punch landed. I think everyone will kind of agree with that, if only one or two, right? But that's enough. That is enough. 
if, yeah, you have to weigh up which you're giving yeah. more weight to, more impact to, basically, and give Ex- the decision to that, to that person. Exactly, 100%. If there is one punch landed, that is enough to do it. If there's no punches landed, let's say the first round went and not one punch was landed, well, then you would give the round based on effective aggressiveness. So let's say if you agreed that maybe Rose Namunas was running where the fight was taking place and trying to push forward and pushing as far as the back, then she would win. You know, because of that, if her movement had an effect on Esparza and moved her back, right? Made her fall over. Yeah, mm. or if she got a takedown or whatever it might be, or right? she didn't. But, and if you think that was even too, didn't it go to Octagon Control, you know? Who was, and, and you know, I said there, who was kind of controlling where the, where the fight was happening. That, that would be more Octagon Control. The pushing someone back and making them go there would be more the effective aggressiveness. There isn't much between them. But you would go to that. And this wasn't far from that, but it didn't get to that. For me, it, like, the effective uh, striking was there if there was only one punch you have to gauge the effectiveness of that punch when you like when people say effective uh, striking maybe people are thinking like oh well you have to land a big massive shot to be be judged as effective striking well if there's no big massive shot landed you have to judge the effectiveness of what is landed by fighter A against what is landed by fighter B even if it's almost nothing now in this case it was almost nothing you know it's like you know um Liverpool played uh, 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 Villarreal the other day, Graham, and what was it? Three, four, two was it the game? You know, three lots two. of goals. Three, two, yeah, lots of goals all the way around. Or like, uh, you know, some games. West Brom played Man United one time when it was five, five. But like Liverpool can go out to the next game, you know, win one nil. It's just because there was a, and you know have one shot and the other team have no shots at all and it's a boring, you know, shit fest of a game. But it's still one nil. You know, you still assess it on that one shot, that one goal. Even if another game has ten goals, it has fifty shots and everything like that. You know, you and, and, and let's say it's six five instead well, yeah, of five five. You're not you're putting s- weight behind goal. Like how much weight does that? No, goal indeed. Hold? But like it's just like it's it's a bit of a it's a weird example. But you get what I mean. Like you don't. It's as long as there is some gap as long as there is a little bit of a difference between them you assess it on that and that's the way it's done and like it tells you in the criteria as well 10-10 rounds should be extremely rare like believe me when I say 10-10 rounds are only there for let's say an eye poke at 3 seconds of the third round of the yeah the third round and the three round fight and it has to go to a no contest or some amateur fights where there's absolutely nothing where you know both uh fighters are like you know they they get nervous and they just don't throw a punch or don't do anything for the whole round it's like that there there will never be a 10-10 round in the UFC in a fight like this ever because they have even if there's no punch landed they have the effective aggressiveness they have the octagon control if they need to go to that in this fight there was five rounds and they didn't need to go to it once because there was punches landed throughout the whole thing so that's the 10-10 thing I think cleared up and that's not my opinion that is in the the rules that is the fact of the matter that is in you know the the criteria the written criteria of the sport and you saw no not one single judge gave a 10 10 and uh they were right not to give a 10 10 because that's the way the criteria is written but anyway what um, i'm just trying to remember as you're talking there what round was it where rose landed one nice right hand and as far as it got like a, a half kind of slam the, was the third down. round was i think the third or the no that was the that was the fourth round she landed she got a takedown yeah no it was the four fourth round i scored that one for as far as i thought what did you think of that one because i thought the the suplex had enough i didn't of, think it was, i think yeah. rose kind of rolled with it and it wasn't really a suplex it was just kind of there wasn't much impact or force in it. It was kind of just a scramble more than anything. 
Yeah, I, I, I probably weighed more into that earlier earlier punch and a couple other jabs and stuff from, from Nami Yunus in that round. I actually thought Nami Yunus won the fight, but I, I thought, you know, she can have absolutely no complaints. And, yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, with, if it comes down to, like, how much is in that, that takedown, uh, the force of that takedown and how much is in the force of that right hand, you know, uh, you can't complain, really. Like, she looked surprised, but, like... Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah... It was bizarre. I, I scored that round for Esparza, but I still had Nami Yunus win in the fight. Like, I, I, I scored it the exact same way as Eric Cologne. I scored the first, third, and fifth for Nami Yunus. But, like, this yeah. is one of those fights, and this is a great example, right? Could this fight have been 50-45 for Esparza? I think it probably could. Could it have been 50-45 for Nami Yunus? I think it probably could as well. Like, yeah, you know? I, I actually had a 49-46 for Rose, but it could have also been 49-46 for... <laughs> it could, yeah, as far absolutely. As because easily. each round we're debating, like, oh, was this non-impactful, not that impactful strike more more impactful than this other non-impactful strike or takedown or whatever. So it's, it's just fucking, you know, absolutely terrible five rounds. And I don't think anybody could have had any complaints if they had have lost a 50-45 or a 49-46 or yeah. you know won or lost it's just you know you left it ridiculous for, I don't know what Rose was doing uh, maybe because she lost to her before early in the career and she's talked about her mental thing in the past but uh, she seemed to think she was winning and uh, the rounds but even if, even though I agreed it, I you know I was thinking you know this is way too close you can't just leave it like this you you have to go out there and make something happen and there was kind of stages at the end of the round where she kind of looked like she was going to try and make something happen and then just backed off and it was just it was just very very tentative the whole the whole fight from both of them and a really really terrible fight yeah uh, we can talk about it being the worst fight. No, I don't think it's the worst fight in UFC history. The worst title fight maybe in UFC history. But it was definitely one of the worst performances from a champion in, in UFC history in terms of over five rounds. You know, we've seen people knocked out in seconds and things like that. But yeah, I saw uh, one of the commentators were comparing it to Anderson Silva and Maya. That's just ridiculous. Like, that was a way, way better fight yeah, than, oh, this, without, than this world's kind of fight. Without, I don't know what are they talking about. Without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, it was miles better. Uh, this was awful. It just felt like and I, I heard a little bit of Rose's uh, post-fight press conference and she was talking about how she had so much respect for Esparza's game and all. It felt like she had a mile too much respect for her. There was, like, I, I remember thinking after the third round, like, Esparza could be 3-0 up here, even though I had a 2-1 to Namunas. I'm like, she's just waiting here unnecessarily. Like, Esparza took her down and she got straight back up at least once. It happened a couple of times throughout the fight. It's not like Esparza's just going to hold her down. Esparza's is good, but she's not up there with Rose Nami Yunus's level, I don't think. And Rose respect yeah, she her was way up within, too much. She was up within three seconds of each time she got taken down and the other 90% of the takedown she easily stuffed. So, uh, yeah, way too much respect. Way too much. Yeah. It must have been the fact that she lost to her before, but, you know, Rose is a completely different fighter uh, since then and she, she, she felt like she was the same fighter as back then like all she had to do was throw a few jabs and throw a few straight rights down to the middle throw a few teeps even like come on it was a terrible performance and like Carla Esparza in, in fairness like what Rose was trying to do and the, the reason that she didn't throw as much was Esparza and she said this herself she waits for you to make a mistake and then she tries to take you down but God Almighty, if you're just waiting for yourself to make a mistake to get taken down, then you're just, you can have no complaints at all. You just do nothing for the whole fight. It was ridiculous. It was an awful, awful rubbish performance from, 
from Car- uh, from Roslam Eunice. You know, it wasn't much better from Carla Esparza, to be honest. But you know, what- no, it was absolutely terrible from Esparza. Yeah. But we, we, you know, uh, as Rose said, you kind of expect, nearly expect that from maybe not to this extent from Carla, but expect that uh, some of this anyway from Carla. But Rose should have been ready for that, and yeah, it just seemed to fight scared to me, and uh, I don't know. <sighs> You can't make a rematch look, either now as well. No one wants to oh see that fucking rematch. When she looks back on that, oh, God, uh, like that's that's going to be tough for you. And uh, she'd say, you know, the, the Carla and the Rose camps will be the only people who ever watch that fucking fight again. Yeah. Uh, God almighty, it was awful, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I said, I had it 3-2 uh, to Rose. Uh, but as far as I wouldn't yeah, we, we both, I had her winning 4-1 you had her winning 3-2 but nobody yeah, has any complaints no with, one cares <laughs> not, not, the champion not losing, losing her belt after no. you know I had her winning 4 not, not even close <laughs> not even close um, so let's talk, let's talk about the main event uh, Charles Oliveira versus. oh actually before we move <laughs> on to that what do you think of the cornering advice from Pat Barry a lot of people I heard giving out about that I actually didn't really hear it much live but I don't understand you've Trevor Whitman is your head coach and you have Pat Barry giving you fucking corner advice. You think you'd have Trevor Whitman in there as the main guy. I don't know. Did you hear that? What did you think of that? I I wasn't paying too much close close attention to what they were saying. All I remember from the cornering was you're the best in the world and things like that, trying to give her more kind of a pep talk than give her, you know, actual urgency. uh, Feels like that's a bit cliche at this stage now. They're just saying it because people expect them to say it kind of thing. Maybe she does need that, but, you know, you you can mix it in with a bit of... uh, like, you know, Punching, give her a bit of urgency. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. why don't you try to throw this combo or <laughs> why don't you actually do something? Bizarre, bizarre. Uh, there was plenty of shots landed though in the main event uh, where Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira oh, went to fucking war uh, over uh, three minutes and 22 Just before seconds. We go into it. Did you, yeah. we talk about the, the weight miss? Yes. Uh, what, what did you think of that? What was your opinion on it? Oh, it's, 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 you know, you feel for Charles in a way, but he's missed weight for the fifth time now. Um, and it was only half a pound and all that. And I see, saw people saying, oh, I acquinta missed by 0.3 or 0.2 or something before I was able to fight for the title and or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's kind of the rules are the rules and you miss five times. And, you know, I can kind of see you know where the UFC are coming from but I think if it was you know a bigger star they probably would have maybe I don't know maybe they would have done it differently but uh, I, I don't know if they would have it's a tough situation like the UFC don't want this to happen either they want their their champion to make weight and you know not lose have this well maybe like you know this kind of actually added more attention to the fight but you know uh, I can see how Oliveira's uh, you know uh feels hard done by but all this stuff about the the hotel scales and stuff i think you know what 19 or 18 out of 20 fighters made weight so i think if a lot of other fighters had a miss weight then maybe you have a better case there and you you might be onto something but i think it was just it's an unfortunate situation and you, you can see why Oliveira feels hard done by but i think it's probably the right decision yeah, it was, the it, rules. it was uh it was 28 out of 30 fighters i think is that there was 15 fights oh, sorry, on it, wasn't yeah. There? yeah so uh, listen, it, this is a tough one for me, honestly, because uh, I 
I've always been an advocate for fuck weight cutting. I don't want weight cutting. I hate it. Um, Has Nick Diaz said anything about uh, <laughs> the GSP fight? Too heavy, Johnny. Too heavy. What about the GSP though? That he oh. told him, oh yeah, no, it's uh, you're allowed a bit of overweight. Don't worry about yeah. it. Oh yeah, that's true. I I fucking wish I'd put up that video of Nick Diaz run too heavy, Johnny. Oh shit! <laughs> what a So the best thing about that is like he couldn't get Nick Diaz to turn up to his own press conferences, <laughs> and then he fucking drives across <laughs> fucking down to fucking turn Johnny. up and mock Johnny as he tries to make weight. <laughs> And it was, do you know the best part again about it? It wasn't the win, was it? It was like the second win two hours later. Remember Johnny Hendricks? Yeah, yeah, he'd come in heavy and he, 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 <laughs> yeah, he had the two hour window or whatever. <laughs> Nick Diaz fucking drops it all and gets over there. Just holding, waiting around for two hours to roar at him. Oh, that's a fucking classic. But yeah, look, my, my thoughts on it are this, right? If people need to blame the UFC if they're blaming anyone for this, because it's the UFC scale in the back was the one that was fucked up. Is it not the one in the back? I thought it was yeah. the one at the hotel that people were complaining about. And well, whichever, you know. Yeah, the one in the hotel is like not a UFC scale, is it? Or is wait, it what is a it? Commission scale? I don't know. Is a hotel? Oh no, it's scale? U- yeah, it's a UFC. Uh, you know, the UFC set that up. The only scale I know they have a scale the in the background where you can come and check your weight before you weigh yeah, in. Yeah, like, that's there's the UFC an, an official, an official one. I d- I don't know if any other ones are official no the only official one fr- from the commission is the one that they step on and they weigh in and the other ones are UFC scales they set them up and the commission came out and said that to MMA fighting as well now they can calibrate and, and you know what people are saying oh they calibrate it with the official scale what do you mean calibrate it with the official yeah, scale you, you calibrate, calibrate it, it with weights calibration like, what the <laughs> fuck the weight, are people yeah. talking about like if, if it weighs a pound it weighs a pound it doesn't matter what fucking scale it's on as long as the scale is right so if both scales are calibrated correctly they'll both weigh the exact same fucking thing just bizarre the way the shit people were talking but anyway it, it sounds like one of those back scale, backstage UFC scales were off by half a pound but that is no one's fault, only the UFC. So if you're blaming the commission and everything for that, I don't know what's happening. Now, the big issue, another big issue as well, right? Okay, fuck weight cutting, first of all. Secondly, why did, does a champion not get the extra pound? Like, it, I, it never made sense to me. I, I, like, And it could be, you know, the, the scale is like a oh, small bit off or whatever. The, the pound is supposed to be for that, for an incidental thing, or even half a pound. It makes, it makes very little sense. But as you said... If this was someone else, I'd have a lot more sympathy. Like, Oliveira has missed multiple times. It felt as well, like... And also, people need to forget this. You know, they said he... Uh, don't need to not forget this. They said he missed weight by 0.5. But he missed weight by a pound at first. And then he took off his jocks or whatever and went up and it was half a pound. And then he went away for an hour, came back, and he was still half a pound over. It's like... And he looked like dead as well. I don't think this is simple as, oh, the scale was off. I think he was absolutely He was down fucked. to as low as he could. Got, and yeah. he couldn't get another fucking ounce of water out of him. Exactly. He missed weight fair and square, I think. And now fuck weight. Well, in fairness, though, again. like, you know, he can look back at, like, Habib not weighing in properly oh, with absolutely. the slider and look at Cormier leaning on the towel and things like that and say, why, why is it so strict on me and not others? But, you know, there are different situations where things were handled wrong and... You know, uh, this was handled probably, you know, by the commission's rules down to, down to the, <laughs> yeah. the letter. So, you, you know, it's hard to argue with the letter of the, the rules the commission have. 
Look, no one would have given one shit if that commissioner had said, oh, 155 and slapped it away like he did with Habib while it was still moving and on. No one would have given a shit, but you can't criticize someone for doing their fucking job correctly. It's his job to make way. We criticize the other guy for not doing it properly when with Habib. Absolutely, yeah. Clearly, it it was going up and he just slid it away and people were going mad saying it was a big conspiracy and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't or whatever, but... This guy did his job. This commissioner, I don't know who he was, did his job correctly. So there's no... I don't think there's any blame with the commission. If you're going to blame anybody, you're going to blame uh, Oliveira or the UFC or a combination of both. 100%. 100%. So let's talk about the fight. Uh, Obviously, because of that, Oliveira couldn't win the title. The second he stepped into the cage and the fight started, uh, he was stripped of his title and only Justin Gaethje could win it. Could he not just like pull out of the fight with like a fake injury? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Just like collapse and not bother. But uh, he didn't. He didn't fair play to him. And look, I think the UFC coming out saying if he wins this fight, he's going to be the number one contender kind of maybe took that option away from Oliveira a little bit. But... You know, and c- because they could have just put, I, I think Joe Lozon was the only guy who made one fifty five, and obviously his fight with Cowboy was uh, was cancelled because Cowboy got food poisoning. They could have put Lozon in there against Gaethje, made that uh, the title fight, and Oliveira wouldn't have won it. So I think that probably would have happened. So Oliveira kind of was was kind of fucked. But anyway, um, and, and he'd worked hard in his camp, and obviously yeah, yeah, you know, he wanted to get money and all that stuff. Paid. So yeah, um, Justin Gaethje came out, and you know, through, through the leg kick. <laughs> Threw a lot of shots, massively overthrowing on a lot of shots, but caught Charles Oliveira and put him down and hurt him multiple times. And he, 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 I think he hurt him multiple times mm-hmm. with the punches he didn't overthrow. The ones that yes. he, when he threw combinations and actually threw kind of semi tight punches, he was landing with ease and hurting Charles. And then once he kind of had Charles hurt he was just swinging for the fences and actually like completely fell over or completely out of shape whiffing on a I think it was a left hook was it yeah like just just ridiculous like just way overexcited thrown way too much into it he you know I said before the fight that Oliveira should win but he's probably going to try and strike with with Gaethje and it's probably going to end up you know losing it that way but I think he kind of, you know, did fight a bad game plan, uh, Oliveira, at first. Probably Gaethje should have finished him if he had, have, you know, had some composure. Uh, he probably would have finished him, but he didn't have any composure. And Oliveira obviously has, you know, it's obvious he's massively improved on the feet and was able to land his own shots and hurt Gaethje as well. But, you know, uh, I think Gaethje kind of threw it away, but yeah, he, he did well for a little while on the ground. Um, oh, do you think so? Yeah, compared to what he did against Khabib, you know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think he did okay on the ground, like, for momentarily, but I think he was rocked badly, and, you know, when when he hit the ground rock rock badly and uh, Oliveira got him, I thought it was a matter of seconds, and he kind of managed to fight out, and but he then he end, obviously ended up in the rear naked choke with his back taken, and even though he was fighting the hands well, like, you knew it was over then, Oliveira wasn't letting that go, but I do think... You know, even though Oliveira came in with the wrong game plan, he came in with the wrong game plan or the, the wrong start to, to to the fight and KG was able to capitalise to a certain extent, but I think he should have been able to capitalise better if he if he just had a bit of composure and calmness to him instead of throwing so hard that he's spinning out of control and falling over. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm sure you got uh, throwback vibes uh, when uh, Gaethje hit him with that, I think it was a right hand, and Oliveira took a step backwards and just fell to his back. And it was yeah. a really bad camera angle, but it felt like, oh shit, this is Oliveira again. Not necessarily giving up, but being like the the fight beaten out of him. But as you said, that word composure, and I, I saw McGregor was tweeting about it as well, that, uh, or, or he said it in a video he put up, about Oliveira being too composed. And that was it. And that's, you know, it's something I've known about Oliveira watching his fights, but it's not something maybe that stood out in terms of like you say it in the analysis coming up to the fight. But I think it has to be going forward. He, he was so composed even when he was hurt. It was brilliant. And that's what won him the fight. You know, that's what kept him in there because he knew what to do to kind of come back. He knew to get those hands up, stay in the pocket, stop taking those big shots from Gaethje and kind of wait it out a little bit and land when he needed to land. And I think that's exactly what he did. And that's why he kind of won the fight. Like Gaethje, Gaethje got hurt a couple of times as well in, in the early exchanges. So it wasn't like... the kind of fight Gaethje was kind of hoping for. Though, it was, no? yeah. Yeah, and... Even even though he kind of got the fight he was hoping for, he just he just went too crazy, and I just you know it wasn't just the one where he fell over. There was numerous shots where he got way out of shape and left himself wide open to obviously you know uh, get countered. And Oliveira you know took advantage very well of of, of uh, what Gaethje was was doing, throwing too wildly. And even though he'd been hurt, he as he said there he stayed composed and he kept putting the pressure on and he showed that he's kind of not the same guy that we we talked about for years the same guy that kind of once it once he starts eating big shots or gets rocked he's kind of half looking for a way out but this time he he, he definitely was the was the kind of matured version of him that um that we can i, I think expect going forward now uh for, from Oliveira. i think even though you know you mentioned the kind of delayed reaction of going down he he kept fighting you know that's a that's a big thing about him that kind of kept him from being an elite fighter for years and you know we've doubted him over the years but now i think i think you can kind of i don't know those doubts are gone. You can, yeah, yeah those doubts are kind of gone now you know he's shown it too many times now uh consistently that we can kind of hopefully anyway forget about that indeed uh i disagree with you in the in the ground game part of that i think now it's easy to look Once bad. Once he was rocked so bad, and yeah. Oliveira got on top, I thought, "Oh, this." How is, did this the fight is... get to the ground? Actually, I can't he remember. He dropped him. He did dropped he drop him? He dropped him. Oh, yeah, hard, okay, yeah, hard. Yeah, I thought he, once he was dropped and on the ground, he was going to be like, <laughs> yeah, it was going to be like all. a couple of seconds here. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going full Joe Rogan and all. I was like, "This is God. This is done." Like, and he was only just getting a nap in. But Oliveira did pull guard a couple of times as well during the fight, which I've been calling for a lot recently, and I'm glad uh, people are doing it. But he had him in kind of a mounted triangle almost but he kind of slipped off it it was it was just too kind of thinking about the armbar thinking about yeah, the, he, he was a bit armbar. high on, I think he was a bit high and he kind was, of had yeah. a strange angle on the triangle but uh, Gaethje did, did well to you know, I, don't know, I don't think he did to, uh, to, <laughs> just to survive as long as he did on the ground I think well, even he, though he was he survived like 30 quickly. seconds <laughs> yeah but yeah. when you're rocked that hard against somebody as good as uh, Oliveira as, with his good chokes and you, you've kind of shown your well I know Habib is a, a different animal in terms of grappling uh, wrestling kind of style of grappling but yeah, I think uh, in my in my in my thought process, when he got dropped and Oliveira got on him, I thought, "Oh, this is this yeah. is done." Fight but is he done. managed to to manage to survive temporarily, anyway. Yeah, I, I think it was more about the position, as you said, he was too high on it uh, than anything else. And 
uh, uh, the biggest issue I see, and maybe it's a function of him being hurt, but when uh, from a layman, I'm looking from the outside in, not having a clue about jiu-jitsu, but I always find that you see the biggest differences in jiu-jitsu when one guy moves, gets into a position, and the other guy just stays in that position and accepts it. In terms of like, it feels like, you know, uh, what, what was it that, uh, uh, that uh, Hicks and Gracie said? It was like, you move, then I move, then I, you move, then I move, and then the fight's over. What did you know that thing they talk about? You just, it, it feels like Oliveira was moving, and Gaethje wasn't moving, and he just took that position and ended up choking him. Now, maybe that is, look, Gaethje, we all know Gaethje's a far superior grappler than almost everyone in that division, but um, I think he had a willing foe there in Justin Gaethje. I don't think Gaethje's good on the ground whatsoever, and we see, you know, I called it last year, I, I said Charles Oliveira by submission, and uh, that's exactly what happened, and it was a brilliant performance. But look, a fun fight again, and Gaethje is always in fun fights, and we'll always love to, to see him fight, so... You know, fair play to him. Fair play. Um, that's it. Anything we left out from that paragraph? Did we get it all? Did we touch on everything? Yeah, I think so. There was, yeah, there wasn't much on the, in the undercard, as you mentioned, but uh, it was kind of saved by the, the Chandler and the Gaethje fights. The dogs don't like it. The dogs don't like it. All right, lads. We will uh, leave it there for UFC 274, but let's throw it over to Sean Sheehan here for the rest of the MMA chat from the weekend, and there's a lot of it. Shawnee, take it away. Thank you very much, Shani. All right, let's talk about some of the non-UFC 274 uh, happenings from last weekend and coming up to next weekend as well. Graham, let's talk a little bit about uh, Dean Barry. Obviously, the news came out uh, from MMAfighting.com that Dean has been let go by the UFC. Uh, Dean put up a thing on his Instagram and he said that he has a fight coming up uh, booked in June and that, you know, not to worry and stuff like that. Um... Uh, it's. I think it's a very unfortunate situation. I suppose from start to finish. I I put up a tweet, kind of saying, you know, I feel bad for for Dean. That very little of it was actually his fault, and you know, I, I think we kind of said that before the fight as well. But I think some people maybe misinterpreted that. Okay, the 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 kick kicks in the balls and the eye poke. Although the the eye poke, which we talked about last week, I don't think it was as much of a fault as as people are making out. But anyway, I. I'm not talking about that. Look, that can happen in a fight. Anyone can get fucking disqualified. It shouldn't have been a disqualification. It should have been a no contest. Any fight can in a no contest. That was just unfortunate. You know, Dean Barry didn't go out mean to fucking do that. If you think that, you're fucking... I don't know what to think. You, you know, it was... Okay, he took the consequences, absolutely. What I'm talking about, very little of it being him, his fault. Him being put into the UFC before it was time. You know, I think he'd probably admit that himself. From... Uh, a physical point of view in terms of at 170 that wasn't his fault you know put him in at a weight class at least one weight class above where he should be fighting uh, put him in before he had the fights to kind of prove that he was UFC ready that wasn't his fault and although we are seeing less proven guys I suppose uh, getting put in there he was given the opportunity he took it and yeah, and this isn't all you know revisionist history. We said all this on the, like the you podcast. Said yeah. yeah, well, we did. We we said this about so many fighters, like not just Dean Barry, but people getting into the UFC too early, and how it's so difficult to say no to the UFC. And you know, the fighters obviously going to take, it and it's not really you know their fault. And it's you know, as you said. Oh, <laughs> there's there's just an experience level that there, there used to be an experience level that you required there used to be a thing called UFC caliber that we used to always talk about 
and uh, you had to kind of you know prove yourself to a certain level and, and that's gone now and maybe even with Dean saying you know oh they they uh, have plans for me they kind of like my style and they're bringing me in trying to trying to do this that that used to happen like that used to be like okay just we'll keep an eye on you you go you go fight for one of these promotions that we kind of keep an eye on and see how you get on and you know people are very quick to kind of blame Dean and to jump down Dean's throat and kind of, you know, hate on him and kind of laugh at him and all that stuff. And I saw even people say, oh, you let down the Irish MMA scene and all this nonsense. Like That was you know, ridiculous. Yeah, you know, this is this is just ridiculous. You know, okay, you can give, you can give blame to Dean for the, the nut shots and the, the eye poke. And even if you agree with us and, and think it wasn't deliberate, you could say, oh, yeah, it was sloppy. It was his fault because of the sloppiness, whatever. Yeah, fair enough. But, you know, to, I don't think he deserves all the treatment he's getting at all. Like, and uh, I think if people actually thought about it properly, they they wouldn't, you know, I know people online are just going to fucking say what they say. But, you know, people online and uh, people, other people who are not just, you know, uh, an egg on Twitter or whatever, uh, saying it, it means a bit more and people need to be careful what they're saying, I think. Yeah, 100%. Look, I think Dean, and he probably admitted himself, I think he struggled mentally with all of this. Uh, you know, he keeps he's posted a couple of times. I'm only human, and on you have to feel for him. I know, um, you know, I, I reached out to Dean a couple of times, and I wanted to get him on to, to talk about the situation. This is before the, the the news came out that he got caught and everything, and then he got caught, and I felt really bad for kind of doing that because I'd I'd never want to put someone in that fucking situation, you know, but. On on the commentary, it was one of these, you know, uh, that someone said, "Oh, he's let the scene on." It was one of these Instagram journalists that have popped up uh, over over the course of you know the pandemic and things like that. And you know, it's I, I was thinking about it because it was going around and there was a lot of fighters giving out about it and things. And I, I saw a few media members coming out, you know, standing up for for that person who said that. Look, there's a very thin line and it's it's a one you know you cross when you've crossed it because we've all probably crossed it a few times Graham, me especially back in the day when we were we were starting out and I needed someone say like you or the lads coming up needed someone like you or me now who've been doing it for years to kind of tell them and that's the problem when you're out doing it on your own and you feel like you have a voice to say anything I, I feel like we come on here and we, we're pretty blunt when we need to be pretty blunt. You know, we say good things if we need to say good things. We say bad things if we need to say bad things. And as long as you're fair and honest and not just taking swipes for no reason, like to say someone let the scene down when you're talking about Dean Barry, a, a guy, you know, we talked, just discussed and, and uh, pointed out there all the issues that kind of Dean had coming in, the f- you know, too too early in his career, pushed into like a weird spot. The fight cancelled up a weight class and everything like that. Uh, okay, he, he went in against the easiest matchup he could possibly have gotten. He went, he went badly wrong, but to let someone down, to let the scene down, like it's so weird. And it's not as if Dean Barry was like part of the Irish MMA scene either. Like he's not one of the guys that came out through Cage Warriors and everything. He's, he's like Dean Barry was away fighting in. You know, he was all over the world and he fought in UAE Warriors and he fought over in Titan. It's it's not as if he's part of the scene. It was just a bizarre thing to say, but we won't, uh, we won't dwell on idiots like that anyway. But, uh, I, I, that's a, but it is a bigger issue uh, for, say, guys like Dean when, you know, they're looking at every comment from every idiot on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it might be. 
now some of it can be constructive like when you were talking before and you were saying like it's well this fight should it be on it and when you're in that position you kind of have to take that criticism you have to listen to that criticism and get past it you know you you have to realize that's real criticism and move past it like we've, we've seen that with fighters throughout the years that there there have been certain issues there have been certain things you know someone maybe got a title shot when they didn't deserve one or being in the UFC when they didn't deserve it you have to kind of be able to mentally move past that and I think for Dean he, he probably admit himself he wasn't but having said all of that if he had gotten another fight would it have been time to give him a bit of you know leeway to get better to prepare mentally a little bit better and to get into the gym as well and maybe prepare physically a little bit better because he had moved camps and uh, like remember we talked about Ian Gary moving camps and he went into his first UFC bout and he said it himself he's like well it's not necessarily that he wasn't prepared but mentally he wasn't prepared he said he was looking around at the lights and next thing Jordan Williams is punching him in the fucking face and he's you know uh, a bloody nose and he's after taking 15 or 16 shots and he's barely landed one before he's kind of woken up and realised holy shit I'm in a fight here not just in the UFC if Feel like, it feels like Dean Barry got none of that leeway and it's probably because he's not you know, a fan favourite like Ian Gary or was at the time anyway in, t- in terms of uh, Ian Gary and he's not kind of part of the scene and everyone kind of knows him. What we have seen of Dean Barry has been his kind of like online persona and you know maybe not dealing with it that well but that as he said himself he's, he's still human he's still a guy he's still given that opportunity and then like very unfairly I think cut without giving even a second opportunity to show that he can uh, survive mentally, physically, technically, and tactically in the UFC. Uh, I just feel it's really harsh, honestly. I feel, and it's maybe I'm a little bit biased. Maybe if this was someone in America or something, I wouldn't be uh, as strong on it. But um, I, I think it was the same with like guys like Reese McKee as well, who got two fights. One of which was a, a relatively close fight and a very good fight, and the other one was fucking Shemayev, and then he got cut as well. I don't think that was fair either. But uh, I, I feel for Dean. I, I hope... Look, I, I think if this does anything for Dean, hopefully it'll be kind of the shot in the arm to realise, okay, this is the pressure I have to deal with. But also... I want to prove all these fuckers wrong. I want to go on a run, you know, whoever, whoever it is, if he signs with Cage Warriors, or he signs with, you know, whoever it might be, get four or five fights in the next year, make 155 over and over and over, stick in that gym, be there day in, day out with Andy Ryan, get four or five wins and work your way back to the UFC or go to Bellator or whatever it might be. Um, and prove prove everyone wrong you know prove prove all these idiots wrong and like go on what yeah, were you going to say you know uh, like this is probably the best thing uh, getting cut from the UFC for Dean in the long run hopefully it will be anyway you know going back kind of getting out of the spotlight obviously there's there's a lot of fans out there of MMA but when it comes to the UFC it's a different level and you know I'm sure he's gotten some messages in the past or whatever when he signed for the UFC but he's probably never you know, experience what he experienced uh, after after his loss or whatever, or his disqualification loss. Uh, so you know that, that that that's like you know you're at a low moment. Your your kind of dream debut has gone to shit in kind of bizarre circumstances, and you're just getting abused from every corner. And you know it's hard to take. And if he was to stay in the UFC, who are they going to put him against? You know, are they going to sign some other guy? And then people are like, oh, what the fuck, this guy again? You, you know, I think it's better he goes off and kind of not under the radar but you know maybe Titan or UAE Warriors because he's fought before he goes back there or anywhere and kind of build himself back up like he's so early in his career he's he's four and two now you know he's still only 29 it's not as if you know he doesn't have the time to go back in and learn from all this and to build himself back up and you know 
work out the kinks in his MMA game and maybe in in his mental game if that's if that's a problem. I I don't know the guy like you know I've barely spoken to, to him at all uh, except for on a stream. But uh, yeah, like with, with the haters and all, or is one thing, and you know most of them people are just trying to get a rise out of you. But like you know, as you mentioned with you with, with people saying, "Oh, I let down the MMA scene," like they're entitled to their opinion or whatever. But uh, we're entitled to like disagree with them as well. And you know, maybe you know Dean can use this all in the future to build himself back up. Use this as a motivation, as as you kind of hinted at to you know come back when he's actually ready for the UFC. Uh, and you know, do uh, show what he can do uh, properly without without like you know uh, everybody thinking, "Oh, what the fuck is he doing here?" Yeah, hundred percent. I look. I hope he he uses it as that, and I hope he uh, bounces back and and uh, comes back a better fighter. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what what is going to happen with Dean over the next uh, years and and months. Um, right, let's talk about Miles Price. He fought in PFL on uh, on Friday night. And we look at the rest of the PFL card while we're here as well. Of he was it was a very tough fight for Miles. Um, if people haven't seen the fight, it's actually on YouTube with the, the rest of the card as well. They put the whole main card on YouTube and the undercard, which is great from BFL for Bletham. But uh, look, I think everyone coming into the fight thought Miles needed to go and he needed to wrestle. And that's what he tried to do immediately. Uh, unfortunately, he, he got into range and he immediately went for the takedown, but it was a good bit kind of... By the time Pettis kind of stepped back, he looked like it was miles out. It looked like a worse shot, I suppose, than it was. But unfortunately for Miles, he kind of hit his head off the ground when he was going for the takedown. Pettis hit him with a big uppercut, which knocked Miles back and hurt him. But he did well, and he survived, and he got on the ground. But Pettis was on top of him. Um, no elbows, I think, really helps the old guy on the uh, on the bottom. So Miles wasn't taking that much damage. Pettis was landing a few shots, but Miles has been very defensive and holding on. Uh, he in the you know he stayed there for maybe about what two and a half three minutes um ended up turning pettis around tried to get a komodo sweep at one stage but did end up getting uh pettis's back on the ground getting on top of him and there was this maybe a slight opportunity where he could have either gone to side control possibly or just kind of pushed off and got back up but he decided look my game is to wrestle pettis to get on top of him so let's jump on top of him and unfortunately he jumped straight into a triangle choke and got you know, choked out by Anthony Pettis. So it was two lapses, I would say, in judgment by Miles, two mistakes. Three years out of the cage, very, very tough to jump into a fight like Anthony Pettis, who is such an unbelievable submission artist. Well, maybe people don't realize that he submitted Charles Oliveira, if I'm not mistaken. So that's how good a submission artist yeah, he, he won is. the UC belt, Smith and Benson Henderson. Yeah, it was like people kind of had have always had Anthony Pettis kind of tagged as the striking guy because of like the Showtime kick and the kind of crazy kicks he's done. And people kind of even missed the submission in, when he won the when he won the UFC belt off Benson Henderson. Nobody knew, really knew what was going on. It was kind of so unexpected. But if you actually look at his record, as we mentioned uh, in the podcast previewing this, that he actually has more submissions than he has uh, I, I knockouts. Think, I was actually looking at that last night. I think it's more submissions than knockouts in the UFC, not oh, okay. overall. I think so. That, yeah, that was it. In case, but I even remember back in WEC days, he was getting triangles. Yeah. Uh, things What's your like man, that. Sh- Shavinsky? What was your man's name? That he uh, Bart Palashevsky? Was uh, that it? Bart Palashevsky. That was the, the one him. that he got robbed. Oh, uh, yeah. It was like the worst decision. Uh, 
Uh, that that fight was like not available for like years, and it like wasn't on fight on um, oh, yeah? fight pass for like for some reason. And I was like uh, in the hotel with Sean Shelby for like two hours while he was like literally describing like minute for minute what happened in that fight and how Pettis was definitely robbed. Oh, <laughs> Sean Shelby's a great man, dude, wouldn't he? What so it? like it was like uh, you couldn't see the fight, so I got the Sean Shelby to break down exactly what happened. Probably, do you know what? That's probably even better. Uh, what, what do you think of Miles Rice? Yeah, I'm you know he's, he's a dangerous guy everywhere. Pettis is and he showed that and you know as we mentioned in the preview preview in this like a long time out of the cage coming in against somebody so dangerous is always such a big uh task it's like a huge fight for for uh, miles price as well like i don't know if he's ever been in a spot like this you know pettis has, has been as well that can work both ways maybe pettis doesn't take it as seriously as miles price and all that kind of stuff but you know, uh, Pettis has been there and seen it all, and you know, uh, he just had too much for Miles Price everywhere. Really, like Miles did, you know, he toughed it out for a while, but obviously, he kind of, as you said, kind of made a made a mistake and kind of jumped into that triangle. And Pettis was was uh, happy to accept the 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 position and the submission. Yeah, I think if this fight maybe had come second in this year it might have been a little bit different when he's a bit of the cobwebs off and could use his wrestling maybe to you know to better quell the attacks of, of Anthony Bennett's but look the one thing I would hope from this I hope Miles doesn't have any injury or anything like that and can get back because we don't want to see him out of the cage for a long time again even you know if he doesn't get through to the playoffs or whatever it might be get in get a good performance whether it's a win or you know a, go, a decision or something like that Get in there, get another fight, and you know maybe even if it if it doesn't go well, pop back again next year or whatever. But I think it's this is a big time in Miles Price's career now, and I think he has to kind of he has to take this opportunity, and uh, he got a, he's got a good opportunity with PFL here. You know we saw with loads of guys, even like Rory McDonald last year, he ended up losing and got out in the playoffs, but he's coming back and he looked good this year again. And I think that's kind of what Miles's aim should be now. Get in there if you get a win and you get through, absolutely fantastic. But I think the performance should be the big thing here and then think about next year's one as well while you're you're doing it because you know the um the pfl they're good they, they give fights you know there's there's that big uh million quid at the end of it as well so uh you know i'm looking forward to seeing miles back and i hope he comes back and obviously pettis you know pettis looked good and looked better than he did, did in a while so he'll move on in that tournament as well and six points as well for the, the yeah, first round finish for pettis so that, that's a big yeah, that's 100%. a big step towards that that million mm-hmm. um elsewhere on this card um in the 155 pound women's divisions uh, it was a very interesting night. Uh, Marina Jandirova beat Vanessa Mello, which was a little bit of a shock, I think. Mello was, it used to be in the UFC, but a, a big issue with this 155-pound division is a lot of the women are like 125-pounders and 135. Like Abigail Montes, she's a very good fighter. She beat Clarissa Shields, but she was fighting Elena Kalesnik. And honest to God, Abby Montes, I watched her fight before, and she's a very, very good fighter. But she looked about 20 pounds overweight, and I'm say overweight now in this. And it's nothing got to do with her be, you know, being out of shape or anything. It's literally to make the division. She is, I, I would say, a 125 pounder, maybe a 135 pounder. But she, you know, it, she was just blown up in this. And, and Kalishnik was more of a, she, even she was a bit blown up, but she was closer to 155 pounds and ended up winning uh, the decision there. Gina Fabian, also, this, this was a massive blow for PFL, I think. She beat Julia Budd, but she missed weight. She was miles bigger than Julia Budd as well. Um, and she kind of 
you know, destroyed her over the last couple of rounds. It could have been a finish there in the third even. A great performance from Jenna Fabian. But Julia Budd is coming in here and she's like the great hope for taking on Kayla Harrison. And that's what I've said now. I don't actually, I don't know if other people have said that, but she loses here to someone who Kayla Harrison, you know, beaten. What? Let me just look it up here. And if not that long, like uh, four minutes, she beat her in the first round, destroyed her. It's like it's not a great, not a great look ahead. But you know, Julia Budd gets the points because Gina Fabian missed weight, and Gina Fabian gets no points. So she, you know, she wins her next fight against whoever it might be. She'll probably progress. But it was a bit of a disaster for the PFL that result, in my opinion, because it takes the shine off of that fight. If Julia Budd had won a couple of fights and then maybe fair or three fights, whatever it is and then faced uh, Kayla Harrison in the final I think it would have been a really hyped fight but that seems to be what's happening in PFL over the last while but look we want um we won't stay in that forever. Uh, Giral Al-Shawi beat uh, Gleason Thibault by split decision as well. They were calling him a prospect, even though he made his debut like 13 years ago or something like that. Uh, Gleason Thibault made his debut in 1999 as well. Uh, another split decision. Uh, Sidibu Sai beat Nikolai Al-Shakin in the rematch. There were some boring fights in this undercard, let's be honest. Another split decision. Delano Taylor, who put on a great performance to beat Zou Jeffereno on short notice. Magomed, Magomed, uh, Magomed, What's his name? Megamed? Yeah. Megamed Karimov, sorry. Uh, he's out of the tournament. He couldn't get a visa to come over. I, I assume he's in Russia. Uh, so he's out of the tournament. That's a big blow for that tournament. Uh, Larissa Pacheco got a win in inside of 100 and... What is it? Well, one minute, 25 seconds. She's probably going to be the biggest test again for uh, for Kayla Harrison, but she's lost her twice already. Uh, Ray, uh, Rory McDonald absolutely destroyed Be- Bryn Primus. Sorry, Bryn Cooper. Brett... Brett Cooper. Brett Cooper. Brett Cooper. There you go. Uh, he took him down. I love this performance from uh, from Rory McDonald. This is what I want to see from Rory. Take guys down, choke him out. It was, it was easy. Uh, Carlos Leal with a massive, massive, massive uh, underdog win against Ray Cooper the third. Ray came in overweight. Uh, Leal took it on short notice because uh, Ray's opponent fell out and he... You know, Ray had some good moments in the third round, but Leal beat him uh, and uh, deservedly beat him in a very, very good performance there from him. And, you know, Ray, I was admonished by a couple of people and I said maybe Ray Cooper better off going to UFC after last year. Looks like a good suggestion now if we're being honest because, you know, a fresh coat of paint. And I, I spoke about it a couple of week, weeks ago with Lance Palmer. It just feels like, you know, he's won his couple of million now. He's kind of. It feels like he's a little bit done with the PFL, and maybe better off if Ray Cooper and Lance Palmer as well moved on. But you know, Ray could bounce back as well very quickly. And in the main event, uh, Kayla Harrison, uh, probably the worst performance of her career, if we're being honest. I think she kind of said that herself. She could describe it as dog crap, but still, and all, she got a thirty twenty seven win over Marina Mantequina, uh, who was game. You know, who was hard to take down at times. Who didn't take much damage, uh, but uh, yeah. 15 minutes for Kayla Harrison and, and a good uh, a good but not great performance an okay performance I think you would call it there but she moves on anyway um, right let's move to Bellator and I'll quickly run through some of these Bubakar Kamara Yusuf Cuevas and uh, Lucy Bartois got uh, wins in the first three fights beautiful straight right knockout for Kamara there standing TKO for Cuevas um, people are criticizing Brian Minor a little bit for this one I, I, you know, I thought it was a good stoppage, actually. Um, Duclo was hurt Cuevas at the start of the fight. I thought that was very good, the fact that he let it go, because he was still in the fight. Um, 
and then uh, Duco got badly hurt himself. He was on real wobbly legs. And I think the key here, and why I thought it was a good stoppage, was he was on wobbly legs, right? He gave him the opportunity to keep going. He got hit again. He was on wobbly legs again. And then he got hit with another shot, and he was falling backwards at like a rate of knots. And Cuevas was kind of coming in, about to throw a straight right. And to me, it looked like it was going to be an undefended shot. Now, as soon as Miner kind of stopped the fight, your man got his hands up, which made it look a little bit worse, I suppose. But, uh, I, uh, do you know what? I think it was a good stoppage. I think it was a good stoppage, especially this early in their career and everything like that. Do you need to be taking that damage? You know, I, I would side on the early stoppage there rather than the late one. And, you know, I wasn't egregious anyway, I don't think. Uh, Eve Landudin got a beautiful body kick knockout over Gavin Hughes. That was one of my bets for the weekend. Very good. Sodden back and Carly Leary. Graham, I don't know if you've seen this fight or not, but people are going mad over this decision. Uh, I need to go back and watch it. I know we were recording here a little bit earlier and I haven't got a chance to go back. So maybe I will before the Q&A and I let people know. But, um, I, you know, Charlie Leary, <laughs> watching live... And I wasn't scoring. I was kind of. I had my Chinese for the Friday evening, and I was kind of half watching. I was like, "Oh Jesus, Charlie Leary is is winning here!" And then uh, one judge has a thirty twenty seven. Now, as I said, I wasn't watching fully, and I have to go back and watch it. And I will watch it. It's not like I'm not doing an Arsene Winger here, just avoiding it. But I wasn't watching it uh, fully, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna comment on it. But a lot of people said it was. Uh, it wasn't the best decision in the world. They thought Charlie Leary deserved more and certainly didn't deserve 30-27. Did, did, I know you saw, no, kind I, of watched back and saw highlights of it, but... What did yeah, you think? I, I didn't see the, the the full fight. I missed most of the prelim, but uh, I saw the sure dog had scored it for Leary uh, as, as the only media score in MMA decisions, but uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't. I couldn't uh, yeah, we'll, give I, the scorecard. I, I'll go back and I'll check it out and I'll, I'll let people know in the Q&A this week. Uh, Jordan Barton got a split decision win over Fabricar Diata then. Thibaut Goody beat Lou Long. Jesus Graham, I don't know, did you hear the, the bit of an interview I did with Lou yeah, Long during yeah. the week? What do you think of that? When he was kind of saying, oh, he was, he's nearly started crying saying he could feed his family now because he's with Bellator and with Cage Warriors, he couldn't. Was yeah, like, you know, Cage Warriors, you know, it's, it's, if you're going to try and get to the UFC and if you do get to the UFC, like, it's, it's fantastic. But if you, if you fight in Cage Warriors for a lot of years and don't get to the UFC, you know, there's not a lot of money coming in. There's, there's not a lot of sponsors coming in. There's, there's you know, even if you're fighting regularly, you're not making that much money on fight pay and it's expensive to, to train. And, you know, he was talking about how he had to basically open a gym and teach in order just to cover himself. And it's a tough life. Like, I don't think people realize like how tough these fighters have it. They, they, they see these fighters kind of as rich, but, uh, you know, 99% of fighters are on the breadline struggling. Uh, not 99% maybe, but, you know, a high percentage of them are, are struggling uh, to, to try and realize a dream and, it means everything to him these fights and obviously you know Lou Long went in there and lost but uh, now that he has kind of time to or money and, and time to train kind of as a full time professional maybe in the future we'll see the the rewards for his training maybe they haven't kind of materialised yet but obviously it's a tough loss for, for him but uh, yeah it's good, it's good to hear that he's kind of you know able to relax about his um his family life and his his money and all that stuff because obviously you know it's it's tough enough training and going into a cage and fighting somebody but having to having the stress of of worrying about where your where your meals are coming from and things like that and needing to win to get like you know a a win bonus or whatever and stuff like that is, is a lot of strain on people fighters yeah 100% and uh, like it's one thing we must give Bellator credit for and probably don't give them credit enough is the amount of money they've brought to this uh, these shores and uh, I, I'm uh, 
you know i think a lot of fighters really appreciate it and you know maybe it's not the dream for some fighters and maybe fighters are kind of like well when it when it goes for them they're kind of happy they're gone from but still and all you know that money is that money is a big thing and fair play to them for bringing it but anyway um Pedro Carvalho then uh, lost the split decision to Piotr Nidielski. Uh, a close fight. I, I did think Pedro was down 2-0, to be honest. But the, the second, round, second seems round. Closest, yeah, yeah, seems to be the closest. Yeah, it seems to be the swing close. round. Yeah. Could have gone either way, really. I watched, back, I watched the pack and it, it was one of those ones where Nidielski probably did enough in the first... What well, was it? Three minutes of it, maybe. And then Pedro came back, came back and landed some good stuff. But it... Honestly, when I was watching it, it seemed more clear for Nijelski than when when I watched it back. And maybe that's because I'm a little bit of a, an Irish bias there or whatever. But um, yeah, look, I think they got the right. It was a split decision here, so it was a very very close one. But Pedro, he almost got the finish in the the third round. He knocked him down, hurt him hard. But uh, Nijelski did a good job of surviving and and you know keeping. Uh, uh, keeping his his wits about him. It was a very odd fight again. And Bellator have been doing this over and over and over. Like uh, I think Andy put it up uh, a tweet about it. Like he beat uh, a ranked guy in Vichel the last time. He was up in the rankings himself, and now he's fighting a really tough unranked guy. Like what? I, you know, and uh, in the middle of a what? The, the, well, the first um, was it a prelim? Yeah, it was the, the top of the prelims. Yeah, yeah, I was saying this last week. Yeah, yeah we were saying it too. It's it's just. It's just a bizarre spot. And they did, like, they've done this multiple times now. You know, they did it, with, did it with Brian Moore. They did it with Kiefer Crosby. Yeah, it's, they don't seem to recognize when momentum is building, like, yeah. a little bit. And they just seem to, you know, oh, we need to fight this guy. We need to fight. We need to find somebody. Oh, how about this guy? Just throw them together without really, you know, considering who's kind of got momentum. Who's, you know, Carvalho is coming off the probably biggest win of his career. And, you know, uh, in front of a big crowd, big like a big event for Bellator, like a lot of people talking about it and stuff like that. And then, you know, now they put him in here and he loses a split decision and the momentum's going to derail. And it's shooting themselves in the foot because Pedro was like a big star at the last Dublin show. I know you were at a great. He got a big reception and afterwards he probably gave one of the best interviews. And you know, he was one of the only kind of Irish guys, Irish train guy anyway, to, to win that night. And no, no, a few of them did. And don't get me wrong, but in one of the big fights, because there was, uh, you know, Queely lost and who else was it? No, Queely no, Queely wasn't on the card. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But he, um, you know, he, he kind of emerged from that as a bit of a star. And as I said, gave a great interview and stuff. Like, okay. And you could say, look, this was good matchmaking because it was a split decision. It was an even fight. Either guy could have won. And that's true. And I have no problem with that. But you're you're supposed to be running your, your this business. And you're supposed to be running a promotion to kind of move guys forward in the division or to create kind of stars. And it just felt like this is like what's Nijelski going to do like are they running the show in Poland is he going to be a big star there probably not let's be honest here uh, and I'm not saying like give oh, easy favorable matchups or anything like that but give Pedro someone in the rankings to move him forward or hold him and have him fight in Ireland or I don't know just it just made very little sense and anyway look it, it doesn't matter um it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, Gregory Babin absolutely took out Mike Shipman uh, in the first round. Just too powerful. Shipman, I've, I, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen someone look as muscular as Mike Shipman did coming into this fight. He was like a fucking brick shithouse. Bodybuilder. And it did not go well for him. Babin came in and he looked really good. Uh, Lorenz Larkin as well absolutely destroyed Kyle Stewart. David Gallon beat uh, Benjamin Brander. We're going to have to keep an eye on Gallon. This guy is is a very, very, very good fighter. You know, he's good on the, the feet. And 
He got a win from a ground opponent in the crucifix here. Beautiful stuff altogether. So yeah. definitely keep an eye on Davy Gallon. Yeah, he looked he looked really good again. You know, mm-hmm. some vicious elbows, good control from the crucifix. Uh, Brander just was stuck there, just eating shots, and it, it was a good stoppage and yeah. a dominant performance. And you know, he's looking really good. Very good. Yoel uh, Romero didn't beat Alex Pelizzi, just destroyed him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this finish. He, so the fight ended. He's whipping out the Steven Seagal shit again as well. Uh, why? What was he doing? Just the hands moving. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's Steven Seagal, but <laughs> it's some of fake of, martial arts. A bit of Aikido, sure. You got to beat it. Uh, but uh, yeah, and oh, look, he's fighting. Um, they're, they're doing the match again with himself and Melvin Manoff in Dublin. I can't wait. I was on the fence about going to that card, honestly, because hotels in Dublin are so expensive, but I can't miss Joel Romero. I have to see it. That's why I'll be there. But uh, he beat Alex Polizzi in kind of... Uh, a slightly more output-driven fighter than uh, our fight than he usually fights, uh, and poor Alex Pelizzi was on the wrong side of that, and it was always kind of going to go that way. I think unless Joel didn't throw anything, but um, the fight probably should have been stopped by the corner at the end of the second round. It probably should have been stopped five or six times in the middle of the third round by um, Mike Beltran. And then when he did decide to stop it... The fight was already over. <laughs> it was about three seconds after the fight was over. Now, the clock had gone, but also the bell had gone. And they called it... My biggest issue with this, right? They called it 4.59 of round three, which was fucking bullshit. 5.02. Uh, yeah, it was 5.03. <laughs> uh, and I have... I think you can. I might be mistaken. I actually haven't asked the ref, but I must ask him. If like the, and I, I remember seeing this with a submission before, but I'm not sure if it's the same with a KO. If you like can't get up of your own will and can't go back to the corner or look knocked out, then they can stop it at like five minutes of round three. Uh, and if they had called this five minutes of round three, I would have said nothing. I think a TK or a KO at five minutes of round three. I don't think there's any. Now maybe there is something wrong with that, but I think that's okay. I might be wrong. But to call it four fifty nine, it was not in any way, shape, or form, 4.59 at all. And I, I saw, it was weird as well, like, you know Yoel Romero's winning decision, he just destroyed him. Why wouldn't you just not call off the fight, let it go to a decision, and let Yoel Romero win that way, and at least save Polizzi a bit? I don't know, I just, my, I, honestly, I, 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 my Peltra, I'm sure he's a lovely guy and all, I just, uh, he's not a great referee, he just isn't, he just isn't a great referee. Um... There are some very good refs out there, you know, Mark Goddard and, and uh, uh, Jason Herzog and Brian Miner and, you know, some very, very good ones out there. But I don't, I just feel like him and Mark Smith are a couple of the guys who have been around for a good while now, but they, they just don't have it. You know, you need it to be, I'd be a shit referee, you know. I think you'd actually be a good referee, to be honest, but I, I think you have to have something. And uh, I just don't think he has it. He panics, he tries to be too assertive and it just doesn't work for him at times I actually think Goddard kind of suffered with that a little bit at the start but I think he was he was always good at what he did but tried to be too assertive and now I think he's kind of stepping back a little bit and it's really helped him over the last few years and he's become uh, you know for me with Herzog the best referee in the world so but anyway we will uh, we'll move on from that uh, Peter and Congo five uh, rounds of wrestling boring as shit let's move on <laughs> uh, next week's card uh, MVP uh, is fighting Logan Storley in the main event. 
Uh, I'm going to have a breakdown of this over on uh, on Sherlock, so we won't go into every fight. But Charlie Ward is back here, Graham, against Alan Carlos. Alan Carlos hasn't fought in a good few years now, mostly known as a, uh, a submission guy, a ground guy. But, you know, has a win over Norman Perez in a fight that went all three rounds basically on the feet, apart from a few seconds of it. Um, but this is going to be kind of a striker versus uh, grappler matchup here. Char- uh, but Charlie has been getting a few takedowns and has been good on top recently. Come back from, I think it's a shoulder injury as well. Big fight here for Charlie, isn't it, Graham? Yeah, you know, I don't really know much about Alan Carlos, but looking at his record, he hasn't fought in four years, but his last win was a pretty respectable win against Norman Prezi, as you mentioned. And he uh, he was in there against uh, Jack Manson um, in Cage Warrior 75 and lost, but that was, what, six years ago now? So it's hard to take much from that. You know, has he been in the gym working, training these last few years or, or what has he been doing? You know, I, I have no idea. So it, it's hard to to call this one really and Char- what about Charlie you know, I've, I'm sure you've seen Charlie around the scene and he's you know he's been on a good run since he went to Bellator hasn't he yeah you know his last what three six seven fights he's six and one uh, so he's really doing well since uh, since leaving the UFC and joining Bellator and you know uh, if he can get a win here maybe you know he puts himself in in, in contention to kind of get a ranked opponent and make an attempt at getting up the rankings towards the belt but uh, you know it's hard to know as I said what Alan Carlos is going to bring it's a long time out of the cage and um, like for Charlie yeah, he hasn't fought in a long time as well he had a bout cancelled uh uh, recently enough but he hasn't fought in what a year and a half as well that, that's very different to four years though so uh, hopefully Charlie hasn't blown up too much I saw him at Bellator and he, he didn't look too uh, too fat <laughs> sometimes he, he, he has a tendency to blow up so uh, he looks to be well, he, he looks to be a few months ago in, in pretty decent shape so uh, yeah probably expect Charlie to go in here and win but it's really hard to know what, what Alan Carlos is going to bring yeah should be interesting I fancy Charlie to win to be honest but uh, yeah we'll, we'll see how that one goes um, a lot of the usual suspects I suppose here you know Lee Chadwick is on the card Andrew Fisher's on the card Alfie Davis against Tim Moyle that should be a good fight one of the best up and comers around Luke Trainer 5 and oh, he's here Robert Whiteford versus Daniel Weichel that's a pretty good fight weird that Daniel Weichel's getting a better spot than Pedro Carvalho even though Pedro Carvalho beat him bizarre again by Bellator uh, Paul Daly and his apparent retirement fight we'll talk more about that ne- next week but the Koresh retiring again off. is he yeah, he is, he is, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this Wendell Giacomo guy he's fighting is actually very good I went to watch a few of his fights I think it should be interesting um, Leona Machida versus Fabian this is Edwards. an in- interesting fight how do you think Leo- I, I, like, I, oh, I, that's what I was going <laughs> to ask you I, I don't know like yeah. uh, Machida it's hard to know what he's going to do is he going to wait Fabian has a tendency to kind of wait on his opponent as well you know, uh, it'd be a, it'd be a really big kind of name victory for for Fabian if he can get it. Um, how how much is Machida's kind of heart still in this? I don't really know. Um, Fabian, Fabian needs to let his hands go here. I feel because if yeah. he doesn't against Machida, he'll just like get outpointed over fucking three rounds by yeah, him. He'll just le- left left of the body, left of the head. Yeah. <laughs> the odd one enough to kind of yeah steal the rounds is probably probably what Machida be going for. And, and if yeah. if Edwards gets sloppy, try maybe he can put him away. But for Edwards, you know, uh, maybe he might try implement a bit of wrestling here. At least try and make Machida think about that and not kind of 
just uh, wait to pounce in his karate stance. So, yeah, I'd, I'd go with Edwards in this one, but I think he needs to kind of fight a different fight than he usually fights, which, which you know, might be a problem, but I, I think it should he should have enough to win here. I think I think Fabian needs to let loose a bit more in his fights, you know? Well, we've been saying this for years. Yeah, we really have. I like, I... Uh I just think he is, he's such a great athlete and he he can do it all. You know, you've been talking about him since he was an amateur. He has submissions, he has knockout power. I think he tries to fight a little bit too much like Leon, you know? And he's not Leon, he's fucking Fabian. Go out and fight like Fabian, let your hands I think, go. I think throughout the start of his career, he was kind of waiting for the opponent to make a mistake, capitalizing, and it was working out great and he was getting spectacular yeah. finishes and he's trying to keep doing that. But as the levels go up, like those chances are fleeting, if at all. And, 100%. you know, you need to make something happen. It's not all going to just develop in front of you without you kind of going out there and put putting it on the opponent and you know maybe he can't do that like for a large period but like I don't see why he couldn't I think it's just a yeah it's just a a game plan or a mentality thing as you're kind of saying conceive believe achieve Let's do it, Fabian. Um, Denise Kielholz versus Kanan Wanatabe. Then the winner of that could be fighting for the 125-pound title uh, next. Or maybe they might want, need one more fight if the rematch is going on for that. Kielholz was in one of the fights of last year for me against Juliana Velasquez. So it'll be interesting to see her back. And Wanatabe obviously lost to uh, the champ, uh, Liz Carmouche, at the moment. Then the main event, MVP versus Logan Storley. Look, it's a massive, massive fight for MVP here. Um, he, as we know, he is that wild, elusive outside striker with the low hands and the feet moving constantly. Logan Storley is a wrestler, you know, and he went out in his last fight and he showed he has good hands, but he won't be tra- showing them in this fight. He will be wrestling and he'll be trying to take MVP down at all costs. And look, I suppose it's an ideal matchup for, for Logan Storley, but it could be an ideal matchup for MVP as well if he can keep it on the feet. It's a tough one, though. It is a very, very tough one. And it's it's also a fight, right, that I think is a real tough test for MVP because I, I believe in Logan Story. Like, himself and Amosov went toe-to-toe wrestling and it was very, very close. He could have won that fight. He ended up losing it. That's his only loss. And maybe he isn't as big a name as Amosov or isn't seen as that same monster as Amosov, but he is as good. He's a tough motherfucker. And if Michael Page wins this fight... I think it's a world-class win and people should see it as that, but I'm not sure they will if he wins it. But still in all, it it, it is that test. Believe me when I tell you, it is that test. And if he wins it, he is, uh, you know, he is an interim champion, obviously, but he has kind of answered a few questions, but he needs to answer those questions. And if he doesn't, it's uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting path to see where MVP goes after this and to, to see what he does because his whole career has been... You know, fighting guys who are not on his level, if we're being real, up until the Lima fight, up until very recently, you know, he was fighting guys with, you know, that shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been in the cage with. And I have no problem with that until a certain uh, point, but MVP went over that point multiple, multiple, multiple times. And now he needs to prove that doing that was the right path for him to get him to this place. And this is one of these fights. You know, certain fighters have, like, let's say someone like a Dustin Poirier. He has a big win and he maybe loses a couple and then he's another big win and he proves he's back as a top fighter and he loses again and then he wins again against the top fighter and he proves he's back. MVP, it feels like he's never had that. Even Even the Lima fight where he won, it was a close I think it was a split decision, probably not a great performance, a bad fight for both of them. So his one big win was not like not that standout one, the proving fight. And I think this 
could like the problem is it's Logan Sorley's on and people don't maybe realise but they should realise but this could be it for him and if he has that title as well this is this is a massive 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 fight for MVP and I'm uh, I'm really it's a massive fight in general I think it's a very fun fight it's obviously the old wrestler versus striker uh, matchup as well how would you see it going Graham what yeah I'm, v- I'm very interested in this fight as you said to the, maybe to the casuals um, you know they're looking and saying uh, who the fuck is this guy Pages is fighting uh, another bum or whatever but it's definitely not the case and maybe that's a kind of product of the way they promoted them that maybe this this fight won't be as as uh, garner as much interest or as much viewership as maybe it should but uh, but anyway i'm very interested in it and you know it's a as you said it's a difficult kind of style matchup for page or potentially could be anyway if he if he if he can't kind of you know avoid the takedowns early and if, and if he can't get his shots away and he, he if he does get put it on his back but I do think five rounds actually benefits uh, MVP in, in this. You know, there's going to be five rounds to start at the, on the feet. Uh, Story isn't exactly a finisher on the ground. I think maybe obviously Page's uh, discrepancy between his striking and his and his grappling, but I don't think his grappling is terrible. Where if it hits the ground, he's just going to get submitted inevitably or anything like that. So I think he's going to have enough opportunities on the feet to to land one of the, one of these uh, big strikes or. Uh, catch uh catch him with something you know that we don't really see that often uh or just you know uses uses range and uh and his hands to, to get it done we've seen him have some really big finishes uh he, he's definitely packs power and uh, you know i think he's gonna get it done here i think i think this is a this is a difficult matchup but i think he's gonna i think he's gonna get it done but i wouldn't be surprised if, if story can can wrestle him and maybe you know uh, grind out a decision but i do think five rounds probably benefits paid where usually in in a wrestler versus striker matchup i'd probably say the opposite yeah very interesting i i'm not sure honestly i'm, I'm very much torn and uh, i'll give my pick uh <laughs> maybe later in the week or maybe i won't bother uh but yeah it's it's a very intriguing fight looking forward to it uh ufc have a card next week and do you know what it's actually a pretty good card if we're being honest um Michael Johnson's deep on the undercard. He's fighting Alan Patrick, Nick Masimov, who's out of the uh, the Diaz camp, if I'm not mistaken. He's on the card as well. Yeah, uh, Vionna Jandiroba against Angela Hill. Uh, Viviane Oruja against Andrea Lee. That's a good fight. Jake Hadley is on this card. He's fighting Alan Nascimento. David Grant against Lewis Smolka. That should be a fucking barn burner of a fight. Amanda Hebas against Caitlin Chukagan. That's a fantastic fight. Uh, Ryan Spann, Ian Kutilaba. And the main event... Jan Blachowicz against Alexander Rakic. I'm really intrigued by this fight. I think this is going to be a very tactical battle, maybe over five rounds. You know, Blachowicz uh, has obviously been, you know, the Polish power. He's been landing some very good shots over the last few years. He's a fantastic technical fighter, even though he's one of these fighters, maybe it's hard to see how good he is. Uh, whereas Rakic is more of like a defensive technical fighter. He uses his length pretty well. He fights on the outside. Uh, how do you see this one, Graham? I, I don't have a clear read on oh. it yet. I probably need to go and watch a bit more before I, I give a pick, but I'm to be honest, lean Blahovic yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Jan. I think both of them didn't look great in their in their last fight, even though uh, Rakic obviously got the win over Santos. I think Santos is not the same fighter he was when Jan fought him. Uh, what? three three and a bit years ago uh 
uh, like it could go either way, but uh, you know, <laughs> I've underestimated uh, Blahovic a lot in the past, and he's definitely kind of unorthodox and I think hard to prepare for, and he, he does have a lot of power. Rakic is, you know, uh, he's, he's a good fighter, but I don't think he's proven it at the, the, the top level like, like Blahovic has. So I'd lean Blahovic, but uh, it's a difficult one. I, I don't really know how it's going to look. Yeah, uh, I would tend to say the same. Look, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes then. Uh, all right, that's it from us. A very long podcast this week, as it seems to be these times. We've a lot to talk about, but uh, sure, why not? Um, yeah, con- congratulations on Liverpool winning the Champions League. Fair play to you. You did a great <laughs> job. Um, oh, I was just looking. There's one championship uh, fight next week, right? And uh, there's a girl on it called Wonder Girl Fairtex. What a fucking name. What a, what a magnificent name, so I'll tune in for that. But anyway, uh, we leave it there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you would like to hear more from us, we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. Actually, I just got a text as well, Graham. Uh, Alan Philpott made his return uh, to to the cage, uh, unfortunately lost by a triangle, according to Andy Stevenson over in the chat. So haven't seen that fight yet, but uh, unfortunate for Alan Philpott. And, you know, it looks like he's has a great life out in Australia and stuff, so... You know, hopefully it'll be onwards and upwards for him again. Maybe he can get another fight quickly and, and get back to winning ways. But, you know, it's been a tough time for Alan. But um, we will talk more about that maybe next week if we get to, to see the fight and everything. We will leave it there. Graham, have you a quote for the week to leave us on? Yeah, it's a quote. I, I, I'm not 100% sure if I've used it before, if I considered using it before, but I'm going to go for it anyway. It's another Smith's uh, lyric. There are more than enough to fight and oppose. Why waste good time fighting the people you like? Beautiful. We'll see you next Tuesday or Sunday.